you have your Bibles for a few moments tonight, I step into the role of a pastor tonight, and I do not take that responsibility lightly. I um, I love feeling like an evangelist every once in a while. I felt a little bit like that this morning, but it is needful at times to go back and say things that perhaps are not popular. They won't get any brownie points or kudos. If I was on Facebook, I would probably be trolled for some of the things. I think that's what they do. Don't they troll them? Yeah. They, they, is, am I tell, saying something wrong? In the, no? Is that right? Okay. I've said things before that were absolutely not the good thing to say in the pulpit because I didn't know. I won't go into details, but I guess I need to catch up on this modern slang. But it doesn't matter. I'm not on Facebook, so I don't care if they troll me or not. Just listen to me. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse number 1 down through verse number 8. Paul writing to not just the church at Ephesus. If you read the last chapter, he encourages them for this letter and many others to be read. Don't just relegate what he's saying to a certain city as some have done, such as Corinth. That's how a lot of churches excuse their lifestyle, that they say that Paul was only speaking to a problem in the Corinthian church. No, he wasn't. He was speaking to a problem in the flesh. It was really manifest in Corinth, but it was a problem that all of us have. So Ephesians, don't turn it off because it's an old book. It's a live letter. He said, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. The word in the Greek is be an imitator. And that was a word that was used in theatrics of the actor who played the part. And it was more than just playing a part. It was becoming that part. Be ye therefore followers, imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering And a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, say not once named, as becometh saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not Convenient, the word convenient there means suitable, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, no, nor unclean person, he's very plain in his language. There's no mincing of words here. Nor covetous man who is an, idol, who, who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God, our kingdom of Christ and of God. 
Let no man deceive you with vain words or with empty words. For because of these things, what things? These empty words, this lifestyle of living that is contradictory to a child of God. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye therefore, be, be not ye therefore partakers with them. For you, Lord, walk in darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit or the manifestation of the Spirit or the result of the Spirit operating and being in your life is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving, verse number 10, demonstrating what is acceptable unto the Lord. Demonstrating what is acceptable unto the Lord. Philippians chapter 3 verse number 1. He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous. It is not hard. It is not difficult. But for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs, especially chihuahuas. Interesting, something I came across recently in my studies, the dogs that were referred to by Paul in, to the Philippian church were the packs of dogs that roamed the streets of Jerusalem. And what was noted about them was they had no master. They were subjected to no one. And Paul said, beware, because there's a spirit in the end time that's going to make people think they don't need a preacher, they don't need a church. They don't need an allegiance to anything but themselves. Beware of dog. Beware of any spirit that tells you you can make it on your own. Say it to yourself right now. I need the church more than the church needs me. Amen. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. An evil worker is someone who with thought or action or intent does something malicious to harm for the purpose of harming. That's hard to believe that people would be like that, but we live in a world where people are just downright evil. Their whole intent is to hurt somebody. They start out with that in mind. Stay away from that. Stay away from people that are constantly hurting other people. Amen. I'm not even starting to preach yet. Beware of the concision 
It was the mutilators. Back then, it was to do with circumcision. And the Jews who had been converted were still holding on to an Old Testament method and an Old Testament way. And the new birth experience had done away with circumcision of the flesh. It was now circumcision of the heart. But they were still demanding that people mutilate their bodies. Now, we don't have that problem. We don't have that kind of issue, but we still have mutilators among us. That their sole purpose in life is to tear down and to tear up. And he said, beware, stay away from that. Amen. Then the last portion of Scripture that I'm going to read. Chapter 1, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may know, that ye may be able after my decrease or desist, I'll get it right here in a minute, my eyes will focus, my decease to have these things Always in your remembrance. Even after I'm dead and gone. I hope you hear Brother Hughes rise up in your sleep. And remind you of these things. And so this is my message tonight. Don't forget who you are. Amen. Don't forget who you are. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When I was a young person and was beginning to experience a little bit of liberty, my parents would let me go out and uh, participate in youth activities and so forth. Many occasions were there when my mother would remind me before I walked out the door, don't forget who you are. That has so lodged in my psyche and in my spirit that even now when our young people get ready to go on a trip right before they leave, I have made it a habit to remind them, don't forget who you are. Don't forget your name. Don't forget who you're connected to. Represent it well. I am grateful tonight that I was reminded because I have found it to be a problem of mine, perhaps not yours, but I have found it to be a problem of mine that sometimes I forget. I forget who I am. I forget what I'm supposed to be doing. And as strange as that may sound, sometimes in life, we as the children of God, for a moment, forget who we are. We behave in ways that seems that we are more in league with the devil than we are 
with the holy God. And Paul said, that should not be so. And so Paul, on several occasions in writing, was quick to bring them to remembrance before he closed his letter of who they were. When Peter was writing as the pastor of the church, uh, the influencer of so many people by his ministry and by his message, he reminded them again of these same things. And he said, I'm going to keep doing that until I die. So that when I die and I am gone, you will still remember what I am telling you. I would like for you to remember. I want you to remember any of the theatrics that I've done in my life, but I would like for you to remember some of the things I'm going to say tonight. You can forget a lot of other messages, but please don't ever forget this. Paul addresses a critical concern for every child of God. Because they lived in a culture that was antithesis to all that God and righteousness and holiness stood for. The city of Ephesus was an exceedingly wicked and vile place. It was a religious city of sorts. They served many gods. They worshipped at many shrines, but most of them had to do with the worship of flesh and humanity. They were so uh, perverted in their religious operation that they even condoned immorality in the name of the church. They set up houses of prostitution in the temple And they made it in some perverted way a part of worship. And so men could come to the temple and they could uh, do illicit acts and be involved in all kinds of immoral and ungodly acts and do it all under the guise of going to church. You think our world's sick. It's not any sicker than Ephesus was. And yet there was a church that was birthed in Ephesus. As a matter of fact, if you go read the book of Acts, you will find that one of the greatest revivals that came to all of Asia Minor came to the city of Ephesus. I believe Paul said he was there for like two and a half years preaching A revival. Can you imagine a two and a half year or a three and a half year long revival? And people were being converted in the power of God. But it did not negate the influence that they still felt upon their life. And so Paul, writing to them of his concerns, points out to them that it is important that in this culture that you live in, that is, and this is, it's never going to agree with what you represent or what you stand for. So get over that. Don't look for its approval. Don't look for its knowledge because it is not going to come your way because you represent certain principles and ideologies that are contrary to what they would like for humanity to believe. And so he said, we must never forget 
the fact that we are God's children and we should be imitators of him rather than imitators of our culture. What we must never forget is what God has brought us out of, where he has brought us from and what he has saved us out of. And we must never in our life ever lose that from our memory, what we have been in the past. We are now translated into the kingdom and we have become sons and daughters of his and we bear his name and we carry that banner tonight. There should be about our life a certain mark and a certain Christianity you can talk set us apart. I don't care what brand of Christianity you can talk about. There should be, if they are calling themselves children of God, a distinction about their life that separates them from the world and the culture that they live in. Somebody said amen. And so Paul in the book of Ephesians goes through several things that I feel important to remind you of. And I'm going to do them in a a synopsis form tonight. I, I, I want to do them in what the Holy Ghost impressed upon me when I was reading this a few weeks ago. That as a child of God, it is important that you remember who you are. And that you are a child of light. And you must walk as a child of light. There should be no room for darkness in your life. There should be no room for shadows in your life. There should be no room or allowance for anything that would be contrary to what God has declared about us in the Word of God. We must walk as children of light. Behave like we are His sons and daughters. Don't forget who we are. And so when I began to read this, I found that there were four or five things that Paul seemed to be striking at or reaching for or trying to enumerate with the things that he said. Number one was that as children of light, we live by a different set of values. I want you to say that with me. As children of light, we live by a different set of values. What is important to us, or rather what should be important to us, is not going to be important to the world that we live in. They are not even going to understand, don't even try to get them to understand, because until they become a son or a child of God, they will not be able to understand the reason that you live the way you live. Because you live by a different set of values. You live to please Him. If you're going to imitate anything, you're trying to imitate Him. You are more interested in what He has to say about you than what anyone else has to say. And we live to please Him. Not a crowd that is 
around us, more important than reflecting even the latest fad or trend is to reflect the spirit of Christ. Now, I'm not saying you cannot dress modern, and I'm not saying you can't look good. As a matter of fact, I am proud of our young people tonight. I think they look incredible. They are classy. They're dressed up. They look nice. But what I'm saying is that in whatever you are doing, whatever you are wearing, it ought to bring glory to God, not attention to you. Now, I could say some very controversial things tonight, but I'm going to say this much. People, I never have understood this, and there's no reason dress in an ungodly. But I've never seen anybody dress in an ungodly or a, 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 a I, don't, I, I want to be careful how I say this, that wasn't wanting attention or they wouldn't be wearing it or not wearing it. And then when somebody notices them or says something, they want to scream harassment or, hey, look, if you, 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 you've got to understand something. You, you've got to remember something. That there, there's some principles about life that you can't violate and not understand why you're being hurt or why you are being uh, treated in the way. You need to remember that as a child of God, you're not taking your dress code or your uh, the fads of this world from the world that you live in. You are looking to His Word. And His Word said that I should reflect a certain godliness. That that doesn't, that's not a nasty word. That's not a dirty word. That is a, that, that's a wonderful thing. It is a representation of who He is. I should be an imitator of Him. I should want to reflect His Spirit in everything that I do. That's why I've never encouraged people to dress in a, in a, in a, well, I better go on. He is our pattern. Because we live by this set of values, we do our best to show forth the praises of God in our lives. And so that's why I dress the way I do. That's why I look the way I do. I, I, I don't, I'm not saying that That is what saves me. That is just a reflection of who I am. Salvation is repentance, baptism, and Holy Ghost. It's the blood, water, and spirit. It's the death, burial, and resurrection. Go read Romans 15. Paul said, the gospel that I preach is the same gospel that Peter and them preached on the day of Pentecost. It was the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. And all of that is encompassed in repentance and baptism and the infilling of the Spirit. So when we preach this message, that's what saves us. It is faith in God and is it faith in what He has offered us that saves us. But when we, when we conduct ourselves in this world, we must conduct ourselves in a way that is befitting of who we represent. Amen. Watch what God does. Watch what God says. You say, I've never seen God. Read his book. He'll tell you. Read what his word said and then do it. That's an imitator. Amen.
You're not going to shout tonight, I promise you. Number two, as children of light, we live by a different and distinct set of morals. Amen. There's a certain moral code to our life. There are certain boundaries that we do not cross. We do not let the fence down. We do not experiment because we live by a distinct set of morals. We do not blur the lines in our life. Colors, we do not mix light and darkness. In Genesis 1, the Lord separated light that separated from the light. And you and I should make sure that we keep it separated. Because he said, what fellowship hath light with darkness? There is none. And yet we live in a culture that wants to mix the two and say it really doesn't matter. As long as you believe in your heart, as long as you trust him, everything's cool. It doesn't matter. But that's what the Gnostics taught. They taught that man was body and spirit. And so in that distinctive mode, they separated the body from the spirit. And they said, it doesn't matter what you do in your body. It only matters what happens in your spirit. Is that me? I'll turn it off. Turn this on. The devil doesn't like what I'm preaching. He's even in the mood. All right, that's better. They taught that you could separate the body from the spirit. And so what only mattered is what went on on the inside. It didn't matter what you did on the outside. So you could fornicate. You could be unclean. You could cross the lines. You could be a swinger. Yeah, because it didn't matter. You can live any way you want to live on the outside. The only thing that matters is what goes on on the inside. And Paul said, I've got to clear up that notion because that's a faulty notion. That your outside is a reflection and a direct reflection of what should go on on the inside. And if what you're doing on the outside is something contrary to what his word declares, then there must be something wrong on the inside as well. And so there's no place in my life or your life for making light of sin, calling it something other than what it is. If you read First John, one of the things that John said there is that we, we, we say we had no sin. I read that one time from a, a literal translation, and it basically said, that we have chosen to not call sin what God calls sin. That's how we could say, I have not sinned. When we become the definers of what is right and wrong, then it's an open program. It's a free-for-all because what you think and what I think are totally different things. And so we just live by our own set of rules and our own set of uh, uh, of understanding. But Paul said, no, 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 no. 
You're a child of light. So as a child of light, you're going to live by a set of moral values and a standard of morals that is going to be contradictory even to the world in which you live. The world will tell you it's okay to experiment. It's okay for you to try it. It's okay to slip. It's okay to... But but Paul said, don't let that be named among you. Don't let that be said that it happened of you. That let there be a line. Let there be a marked difference between you and the world in which you live. We miss the mark when we do not call it what it is. Sin. There was no respect of the holy then. There is no respect of the holy now. As a matter of fact, tonight, one of the grand events of our nation that has the there in almost of the entire world are the Grammys. If you would dare to adventure to the website later on, you would see what goes on at that function. And most of what they show you is who had the guts or who had the, the, the wherewithal to see how little they could wear and Get by with it. The riskier, the more risque it is, the more hits they get. And so it becomes an ungodly festival where we glorify the flesh and we magnify the sins of man. There was no respect for the holy then. There still is no respect for the holy This kind of preaching would get me kicked out of almost every church in this community right now because nobody in this culture that we live in, religious or otherwise, want to hear about such things as moral codes. Sexual immorality was accepted as a part of the fabric of life back then. They said, oh, it's normal for us to do that. But Jesus came along and he taught a new moral code. He taught a new set of standards for a man and a woman to live by. And we should hold ourselves and keep ourselves clean and pure. There is a place for those things, but they are under the bonds of marriage. And so we cannot allow our culture to set our values when it comes to what is morally right and morally wrong. I don't care if they... They, they approve abortion for free. Abortion is still murder. Amen. Tweet that. Amen. The world we live in doesn't want to hear that because it brings us into a condemnation that we don't want. But the reality is Paul said, you are a child of light. And this is how a child of light should live. We should live with a certain moral standard in our life. We should live understanding that there are things that are clean and there are things that are unclean. And I'm going to learn the difference between the two. And I'm going to cling to that which is clean and I'm going to flee that which is unclean. Amen. Everybody say moral boundaries. There should be things in our life, lines that we do not cross under any circumstance. My wife and I 
evangelized for almost 17 years. The last five or six years, I did it mostly by myself. I flew some of the places that we I had to go speak at, and I found myself becoming a target. And so I made it a habit when I came in and sat down in, in, on the plane that I did not engage with activities that would lead to anything questionable. You say, Brother Hughes, that's pretty stern. Yeah, you know what? I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it. Amen. I remember one time I had to fly to Panama. It was a long, long trip. And I got on the plane, and I just happened to be the only one in that section. It was a very light crowd back then, several years ago, back in the 80s. And for some reason, the the stewardess seemed to want to spend a lot of time. I haven't even ever told my wife this. She seemed to want to spend a lot of time at my, and I'm not a good-looking person. I'm not that, uh, but but there's there's something there, that familiarity. And I guess she thought I was rude because I had a book, and when she would come by, I would try to be polite and answer the questions, yes or no. But I refused to let that door be open. You say, Brother Hughes, do you not trust yourself? I don't trust anybody's flesh. Yours, mine, or anybody's. I just got news for you, young people. When your parents try to talk to you about things like this, it isn't just because, well, they don't trust me. No, they don't. They don't trust your flesh. I don't trust your flesh. But I don't trust my flesh either. Because the Scripture says, In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And so I don't want to open that door. And so there are boundaries that we need to put in our life. And and I know we live in a culture where there's a lot of things that are more acceptable than they were when we were kids, when I grew up. I mean, it was it, it was it was pretty strict sometimes and and uh, there was nothing wrong with that, but we have we kind of loosened up as we 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 go through life, and it's a course of of life. It happens in every generation. It happens in every life cycle. But as we do loosen, we need to make sure that we never loosen so far that we cross those boundaries. I was talking to a minister friend of mine years ago who chose to turn in a different direction, and he made this statement to me. He said, Mark, he said, I started enlarging the circle so I could keep my kids in, and I finally got the circle so large, nobody knew where it was. Amen. I'm not talking about just for myself. I'm talking about for all of us. There needs to be a certain set of morals that we live by, that we never violate. We don't even question. We don't even talk about it. We don't even consider it. When that thought comes in your mind, you wipe it out immediately. You don't give credence to it. You don't let it go down that road. You don't say, well, what would that look like? Or it wouldn't matter if I took a picture of myself. I won't share it. Yeah, right. Amen. Number one problem in our culture right now is sexting. 
People taking pictures of themselves in compromising position and then sharing that with others. Amazing. Now, I'm not here to condemn you, but you need to make sure that in your life that does not happen. Because you're a child of light. And a child of light does not sext. Amen. Praise God. It'll be through in a minute. Number three. As a child of light, we live by a higher ethic than the culture that we live in. It is reflected in the way that we treat people. We love people for who they are. We love people in spite of their shortcomings and how we act toward people and how we treat people should be indicative of something in us that is a reflection of Him. I don't approve of their wickedness no more than Jesus approved of their sin. But He still had a meal with them. He still came to their house and said, I need to come to your home, Zacchaeus, because you need a transformation in your life. And the only one that can transform you is me. And when he got through, he had done such a marvelous work of convincing Zach, or or, or, what's his name? My mind goes blank. It's terrible to get old. Anyway, he did such a good job of convincing him. When he got through, he said, you know what, Lord? I'm going to give back everything I've taken unworthily. I'm going to compound the interest and I'm going to help. Give back. I'm going to straighten up my life because there is a certain ethic that comes into your life when you are a child of God. You forgive people. The world holds grudges. The world never lets anything go. If you don't believe that, go read Facebook. They drag up stuff that happened 40 years ago. They love. They they, they thrive on feeding on the bones of history, dragging up stuff that's been under the blood perhaps for many years of people. But they live because they hold grudges. They never let anything go. But Jesus came into the world teaching his people, forgive and you shall be forgiven. Let go and God will also bless you in turn. Release the trespasser. If you want to be released, then Let the trespasser be released. Amen. They live by a higher ethic. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Amen. Oh, that's a new one. Amen. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't condemn them into hell before you find out the whole story. Amen. You need to give them the opportunity to be redeemed. And even if they have failed, this isn't the house where we slaughter them. This isn't a slaughterhouse. This is the healing house. Amen. This is the place where they can come and have their life put back together. And so it doesn't matter how broken or maimed or mangled they are when they come through these doors because we live by a higher ethic and a higher standard. We're going to wrap our arms around them in love and say, welcome home. This is where you can be healed. This is where you can be delivered. This is where your life can be restored and made new. 
Amen. As a child of light, number four, you hold a distinct set of beliefs. You hold a, a distinct set of beliefs. There is no room for this kind of thinking in our world. You know what it is? Right and wrong. There is no room for our world, for in our culture for that. Who are you? I'm not anybody but a child of God. But God said, thou shalt not lie. God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. God said, yeah, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. The, God said, honor thy father and thy mother. That doesn't mean that you approve of what they do, but you honor what they are because you're going to become that one day. Hear me, young people. And it's the first commandment with promise. You hear me, young people. You ever get to the place where you feel like you don't need mom and dad and you can thumb their nose to their advice or their concern over your life? You are headed for a dangerous place. As old as I was when my mother was still on this earth, any time that little lady ever got it in her mind, she needed to straighten me out. She knew exactly how to get my attention and set me down and say, Now, Mark, you you don't act like that. You don't talk like that. You don't do that because you're my son. Amen. I want to honor them. I don't have to agree with the way they even live, but I should honor Who they are. I should respect what they represent. Because I am moving that direction myself. But the world has no room for right and wrong. They have no room for that. They, 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 they are, uh, they are, they're creatures of the moment. And whatever feels good, whatever seems right at the moment, situational ethics, began in vogue as I was just a a, a young child in school. And as I moved toward graduation, it moved to the forefront in education. And now it is taught broadly without any hesitation, without anybody raising a flag. And, and, And it's being taught all over our world. And all our children are being exposed to it on a daily basis, that there is no such thing as right and wrong. You say, no, not my children. Yeah, your children. If they go to a public school, that's what they're exposed to. That doesn't mean they accept it. And you better make sure that you counteract it at home and remind them. It doesn't matter what the culture we live in says. It doesn't matter what the world I live in approves. I still govern my life by what this book says and what the Word of God declares about me because I am a child of light. Amen. What is sin must remain sin, no matter what the culture says. What was an abomination to God, as far as I know, still is an abomination to God. And I'm going to tell you what an abomination to God in Scripture was. When there was a confusion of the sexes, 
That's why he spoke to them in Deuteronomy about a woman not wearing that which pertaineth to a man. It wasn't just an Old Testament custom. It was a fact of identity. It was a understanding that I made you male and female, and I want you to live in that distinction because you honor me and you glorify me when you understand who you are. I about choked a while back when I read that parents of first graders are not telling them whether or not they're a boy or girl. They're leaving it up to them to find out or choose what they want to be. You talk about a messed up culture. And so as a child of God, there are certain distinctive beliefs that are going to set you at odds and make you stand out. But you know what? Stand out. Because you're standing up for what is right. Amen. Amen. What is acceptable and what is not acceptable, what is clean and what is unclean, we don't mix those two. And don't ever get to the place where you wink less than what it is. Make light of it or treat it less than what it is. In the book of Corinthians, Paul writing to the Corinthians made the reference and the way he wrote it, it seems to be saying that we need to drag sin to light. We need to expose it for what it really is. And as a preacher, God calls on me from time to time to have to, I don't preach like this all the time, but I've been feeling for the last several weeks and even for the last several months, somehow you got to hear a voice in your life that said this is the principle as a child of God that you and I must always be mindful of. And whether you get tired of it or you don't even want to hear it, you're still going to have a preacher stand before you and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And that God who we speak of is holy. And because he is holy, you should be holy. Amen. Amen. And I'm closing, I think. Number five, we should be guided by unchanging principles. There's a certain character that marks... The life of a child of God. Character. Say that word. Character. Now I'm not talking about somebody that is a character. A fool or foolish. I'm talking about someone who has a certain distinction about their carriage and their attitude and their aptitude and their spirit. So that they stand out. And they stand up. Character is something that has been thrown by the wayside. We have watched and lived to see presidents that have wanted to dice a two-letter word to excuse their sin. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, or Atheist when it comes to re, re, uh, uh, governmental things. There should be something as a child of God 
that makes you understand that there are principles of my own personal character that I cannot compromise and I will not violate. I'm not going to let them talk me into doing something dishonest. Even if I lose my job, even if I get demoted, demote me, but I'm going to hold on to what I know is right. I am not going to cheat. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be untruthful for somebody else because it's convenient for them. I live by certain unchanging principles. Because with God, hear me tonight, with God, character is more important than talent. The Emmys that are being presented tonight will have the greatest talent in the world, perhaps, on display. As far as singing and musicians and all of the acting and doings that go on in Hollywood and in the music industry, you're not going to find a higher pinnacle. But they have the poorest character. And we have confused character and we have made it popular. We have, are, are unpopular and we, for you, talent king. And so if you're talented, it doesn't matter that you are low life or you cheat or you're unclean or you lie or you cheat or you steal. If you have talent, you're king. You're awarded. You become a multi-jillionaire. And your lyrics are filthy and degrading and demoralizing. And all of the other stuff that goes on. And yet we promote that in our culture. And folks, I'm not preaching this tonight because the Grammys are going on. I'm just using that as an an example. There are many other areas. But we live in a culture where if you're talented... It doesn't matter what you do. But you hear me. With God, your character means far more than your talent. Don't ever get the two confused. Because your talent can take you farther than your character can keep you. And when that happens, moral failure will always ensue. One of the most talented men I've ever met in my life was an evangelist that was traveling when I was traveling uh, the field. He could do anything. He could play every instrument you could have named. I mean, it didn't matter what it is. He was a genius at music and singing, and he had personality. He had this charisma about him. He could go out in a park, and before he got out of the park, he'd have half the park coming to church, and he got up and he would sing, and he would entertain, and he would, people, you, you could feel the magnetism as he pulled them under his spell, and when he gave an altar call, they all came to the altar. I'm not faulting what happened, but I want to tell you, that man tonight is a moral failure. He's been married at least five times that I know of and it doesn't matter how many talents you have when you can't get that right there's something wrong in your life but he thought as many others think that as long as I can swing it as long as I can 
I, I can do it. I can, if I've got the move and I've got the groove and I've got the words and I've got the talent, I can cover up all that other stuff. You can't cover any of that up in God's eyes. And you hear me tonight. God is more interested in your character than he is in your talent. We need principles that affect our conversation. Boundaries that are set that will not allow our tongue to talk about some things and use some words. Amen. All right, you can just nod. Just sit there for a little while longer. I'm going to let you up in a minute. Amen. What we jest about, what we make light of, it should never venture into the questionable. Amen. Say, Brother Hughes, I really didn't want to hear this tonight. You know what? I'm not really here to take your vote on whether you liked it or not. I'm here to remind you. And James, or, or Peter said, it is needful for me, and I'm not going to stop doing it because it's good for you. It's safe for you that I say what I'm saying, right? You may not do it all. You may take it and put it in file 13 when church is over, but you're never going to get away from what this word reminds you of what you're supposed to be. And say it with me. I am a child of light. Amen. And I'm closing for real. This is the last time. Stand with me. I have a fixed set of standards that I live by. That's not a nasty word. That's a good thing. Standards are not ugly things. They're not legalism. They're very important. If there weren't certain standards, half the medicine that you take into your body would probably kill you the second time you took it. If they could do anything they wanted to in experimenting with those drugs. But there are certain standards that the drug department has set that they have to meet. And they have to experiment with this over and over again until they can prove that the good... Far outweighs the bad. Amen. All of us love standards. We just don't realize it. If there weren't certain standards that were in place when it came to building your car, all the wheels would have come off on the way to church tonight. You would have been stranded on the side of the road. But there's a certain set of standards that are in place to make sure that that thing does what they say it's going to do. Oh, we love standards. We just, we, we, we just have gotten so used to our culture throwing that back at us and saying that's legalism. That some of us have even begun to think that ourselves. Well, maybe this, isn't, maybe this doesn't matter. It does matter. I just want to clear that up for you tonight. It does matter. Amen. It does matter. If we had not had a certain set of standards that had to be followed in the building of this structure right here, it would be falling down around your ears while I'm preaching to you tonight. You'd be dodging beams because they weren't bolted properly. Really, the truth is, it would have fallen down a long time ago. 
But there were certain standards we had to follow. The steel had to be tempered to a certain temper. The, the, the beams, the webbing had to be a certain width to hold up the weight of the, of the roof. The walls had to have a certain amount of fire protection so that if something happened, people would have opportunity to get out of the building. We had to have exit signs. One of the things Sister Kilgore hated when the fire department came into Life Tabernacle said, you got to put exit signs. She about croaked. That's going to ugly up the building. It would ugly it up until there was a fire. Then you'd be glad to have that ugly thing standing there reminding you there's a way out over here. <laughs> Amen. I'm not, I'm not making light of Sister Kilgore. I'm just saying that we, there, there are certain things that to our flesh are not convenient to, to my own will. I don't really like them, but I found out that they helped me. They helped me be a better man. I don't think you'd want to know the man I would be tonight if the Lord hadn't been involved in my life. Some of you think I'm just sweet and kind. But there's a flesh inside of me that's just as vile as anybody else's. Amen. Call it legalism. Paul said you're just a child of light. So this is what you ought to remember as a child of light. Amen. I'm not bad. I'm not mad about it. I'm not sad that I have to be. I don't have to be. I enjoy being that. And I want to represent him well. I want people to look at me and say, what is it about you? What What is it when you come in the room? There's just something lights up. I feel something when you come in. Not just because I look different, perhaps. But I want them to notice that I don't chime in with their dirty jokes. And I don't chime in with their four-letter words. As a matter of fact, I choose to... Walk away from that if I can. Amen. I just need to remind you of some of these things tonight. I need to remind you of who you are. You're a child of light. Say that with me again. I'm a child of light. I am a child of light. The reason that I live the way I do, the reason I do the things that I do, is not so I can earn salvation. That's not the reason I do this. It's because I am saved. It is because I have been redeemed. And I am His child. Amen. Wouldn't it be terrible if you had children and they didn't want any kind of connection with you? They wanted you to pay all their bills they wanted you to bail them out of trouble. They wanted you to make sure they had plenty of food and clothes. But other than that, they didn't want to have anything to do with you. Wouldn't it be tragic? So it is even with him and us. He redeemed us. He forgives us. He, he, he restores our life. He gives us hope. He gives us a future. Why shouldn't we want to be like him?